You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. I, I just get to show up on Sundays, and uh, it's just nice. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to take you to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter number 17. And I feel that I have a word from the Lord today for someone, if you'll be open to receive it today. Um, and uh, we're going to go to a very familiar passage of Scripture, a story that is, well, it's, it's been told forever. One of the most popular stories, perhaps one of the first stories that you learn or remember as a child in Sunday school, the story of David and Goliath. And I'm not going to cover the story, but I just want to lift one thing out of it. Uh, that David says before he goes to battle in 1 Samuel 17. And we'll, we'll begin by looking at verse number 45. And he says this, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast, defied. He's making a clear distinction here. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowl of the air and to the wild beast of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now this is pretty Bold. I mean, this is pretty gruesome language. This, this is crazy. It's courageous, but it's also, it appears crazy that this young man would say this. In verse 47 is our text. And it says, And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our hands. I, I believe that God gave me a word today for somebody. And that's this. You determine whose battle it is. You decide whose battle it is. David decided the battle is the Lord's. Somebody today needs to make that decision in your life with your situation. Can we lift our faith to heaven right now and ask God to open up our hearts? Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your ministry mercy here today. I ask God you anoint my mind and my heart as I speak. And I pray that you'd anoint our ears that we can hear and be changed by the Spirit and by the Word of God today. Bless some home, bless a life today. God, as we make a decision in our heart, God, that it's going to be your battle. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Can we do it right now one more time? Lord, I magnify your name today. I bless your holy name today, God. I praise your holy name. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. In the name of the Lord. Amen. What a wonderful God He is. 
And I know I missed some guests and visitors, but we're so glad to have all of you here, everyone here with us here at CTK. God bless you. It's our honor that you'd be here with us in church this morning. The battle is the Lord's. This is the defining moment in the story of David and Goliath. It is the scene which has been uh, uh, set by, by Saul calling for David after he heard the crazy, courageous things that David was saying. Brings him into his tent and there he gives, you know the story, gives David the armor. David says, I, I can't use this armor. I haven't proved it. And he goes out with his slingshot. I mean, this is how ridiculous this sounds. He goes out with his slingshot, and he goes over to the brook, and he picks up five stones, and he goes out on the battlefield, and he begins to speak to what David calls an uncircumcised Philistine. He's talking to a man who is defiant in the things of God, who has not only rejected God, but he's gone a step further, and now he's standing in defiance. He is making mockery of God, of the Lord Jehovah, the God Most High, the one who is above time and space but stepped into time and space. He dares to exalt humanity just because of a few extra inches. Goliath steps up and he now dares God to show himself. He puts God to the challenge and, and he does so with such a defiance that it meant certain death. He was ready to destroy. He was ready to kill. And by doing so, he was also putting his own life on the line. Goliath was setting himself out there. He was making himself vulnerable. That if there was someone or something that was greater than him, he was willingly say, I accept the challenge. Go ahead and destroy me. And out comes a young man by the name of David. And David steps out on the field and he calls him what he is. You are an uncircumcised Philistine. In all of his speaking about Goliath, he never mentions his stature. He never mentions the host of the army. He never mentions the natural perception. He sees him for what he is as someone that is defying the God most high. And David stands out and he says, today God is going to give you into my hand. Today, I, I will take your head and feed it to the fowl of the air. Today, all of the world will know that the Lord is God. Today, he says, God is delivering you into our hands. And he makes this statement. For the battle is the Lord's. For the battle is the Lord's. There's a confidence when David steps out on the battlefield that he's not going alone. He doesn't look at the natural realm. He doesn't see himself short in stature and Goliath great in stature. He does not see the weight of Goliath's spear and his shield against David's little slingshot. He stands there with confidence 
and with faith, knowing that it's not me that's walking out here, but the Lord God Almighty is here today, and he's going to fight the battle. He didn't go into the battlefield unprepared. He was not stepped. This was not his first day on the job. But while nobody was watching, David had been back on the hillside. And he had been worshiping. And he had been praying. And he had been talking with the Lord. And when no one was watching, David defeated a bear. And when no one was watching, David defeated a lion. Can I tell you, it matters how you live when no one is watching. And if you want to have public victory, you've got to first have private victories in your life. David knew that it was not his ability that gave him finesse over a bear and over a lion, but it was the Spirit of Almighty God that delivered the lion and the bear into his hand. And so he saw it as no different. If God did that then, God can do this now. See, today... We may be facing giants, and if we have never exercised faith before, and if the giant that stands before us is one whom we walk and stand before without having the experience of victories over a lion and a bear, so to speak, of private battles, we would be right to be terrorized and terrified. But the battle is the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing. David said the battle is the Lord's, but not everybody else said the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And I've come to tell somebody today that the battle can be the Lord's. Your battle, your Goliath, your giant, that battle can be the Lord's. And if God be for us, who can be against us? When the battle is the Lord's, you trust in Him. When the battle is the Lord, you go to bed at night with peace. When the battle is the Lord, you walk through the storm with joy. When the battle is, why? Because you know, hey, God's never lost a battle. There's not a battle he hasn't lost. If God decides he wants to heal, there's not a sickness that he cannot heal. If God decides he wants to deliver, there's not a sin, there's not an addiction, there's not a bondage that God can't break free. In fact, God can do what man can't even imagine. The Bible says when John writes in his gospel that Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, John said never in the history of humanity had it ever been heard that man could cure blindness, but Jesus shows up. And he opens the blind eye. Can I tell you, when you are beyond, amen, healing, God can still heal. He can restore. Hallelujah. The battle is the Lord's. Somebody needs to stop fighting the battle that God's fighting. You need to stop trying to take control. Uh, One of my friends told me recently, and we were talking, and and I won't tell you who it is, and and, uh, he, he said, he said, yeah, I never drive when my wife's in the car. And uh, I said, oh, really? He said, well, because she, she can't, she, she just refuses. He said, that's how we have a happy, happy marriage. He said, if I'm in the car, she has to be the driver. And uh, she doesn't trust me as a driver. And uh, I, I was just thinking, man, that's crazy, you know. And, and, uh, but I do remember, it's been a few years, but I do remember also riding with him. 
And, and, I, and I started thinking, at first I thought I started thinking, man, she's so controlling. She's so controlling. And then I, I remember back to where we were teenagers and, and uh, uh, we just, uh, well, we were in college together and we were driving through the city of Chicago. And, and, you know, there's always one person that's just zipping out of lanes and just is driving everybody else nuts and everybody else on the road wants them off the road. And that was him. <laughs> and I remember riding with him. And I don't think that I've ever ridden with him since that I haven't said, no, I'm driving. <laughs> and so I was, I was condemning his wife for being so controlling. And then I remembered, no, I've ridden with him too. I'm, I'm controlling too. You know, there's times in life where there's that temptation to take control. Where you don't want to yield control. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? All, all, all the spouses of the control freaks say amen. Right? Got to take control. It's like, yeah, like, no, I, I, just, I, just can't, I just can't handle it. I want to be in control. I want to be in control of what's going on. Can I tell you, you've got to learn that when the battle is the Lord, you've got to yield to God. You've got to yield things to God. Too often we want control. We're trying to grasp for control. David walks out and says, look, I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how messed up it is. I'm still standing confident the battle is the Lord. God has given me victory. David goes out there. He's not in despair. He's not anxious. He's not depressed. Oh, hear me, somebody. If you are a born-again child of God and the Lord Jesus Christ is the king of your life, let him be the prince of peace in your life. Let him be the peace speaker, the joy giver. Let him be the way maker. Stop trying to take control and just trust in God. Step back and say, hey, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord. I don't know about this sickness. I don't know about this financial trouble. I don't know about this thing. But I'm just going to keep on praising and keep on trusting because the battle is the Lord's. Hallelujah. 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 Old song, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You need to get that kind of thing down into your heart, into your soul. They used to sing another song. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. Stop bringing your burdens and your troubles to church on Sunday. Bringing them to an altar, laying them down, weeping your guts out, and then getting in the car and picking them up and taking them back home. Bring them here and leave them here. And you say, God, I'm going to trust in you. God, you're going to work it out. God, you're going to make a way. I don't know how, but I'm just tired of all this mess. And the battle is the Lord. I'm tired of facing a new giant every day. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So, so here's, here's, here's where David was at. And here's where we need to be at. Okay, so how do we get there? It's easy to preach and it's easy to say amen, but okay, how do I actually put that into practice? How do I actually put this into play then? How do I let the battle be the Lord's? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to show you today. There's a difference between Saul and David. There's a lot of contrast made, but the contrast between Saul and David is quite, quite exceptional. David is this man we know after God's own heart. Saul never was. The story begins, it doesn't, it doesn't begin just a few moments, but the story begins before. You have to go back to the beginning part of 1 Samuel. 
And the first thing that happens is that the children of Israel reject God. Chapter 12, they reject the Lord. The children of Israel come to Samuel and they say, after, after the ark of God had been taken away and the Philistines uh, 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 are, are, carry the ark of the Lord, the Bible says that the Lord smites the Philistines because of their disrespect and neglect with the ark of God, which, which symbolized, represented the, uh, the abiding presence of the Lord upon earth in the midst of Israel. And so God smites them with a plague, and the Philistines say, hey, we got to get rid of this. And they send the ark of God back. And uh, the Philistines sort of, they, they back off for a while. And the children of Israel in this period say, okay, so that this doesn't happen again, we need a man, this is what they say, we need a man to be king over us. We need a man to be our judge, which a judge was someone who fought their battles. Now get this, get this. Israel as a people said, we need a judge. We need a man to be king over us. Now God had just done a victory for them. God had just on his own smote the Philistines and they sent the ark of God back. God on his own brought back to Israel what Israel lost. No man involved. And then Israel says, we need a man to be king over us to fight our battles. The, 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 the uh, uh, just absurdity of this. God just fought their battles and brought back what they lost. And they turn around right after that and say, we need a man to fight our battles. You don't need a man to fight your battles. Chapter 12, so Samuel goes, and he goes to God, and he's frustrated, and he's mad. And here's what, here's what the Lord tells him. Samuel, they haven't rejected you. He said, they've rejected me. But go give them a king. They want a king, go give them a king. They want a king. He said, I'll find you a man who's a head taller than everybody else, who's got the kingly posture. I'll go find you a man who looks the part, they are going to be impressed. And he goes down to the tribe of Benjamin. This is significant. And he finds Saul. And he anoints Saul to be the king. And Saul now is king over Israel. Not all the people, but most of the people uh, uh, would submit to him. And Saul is king over Israel. And, and the people are excited. And then in chapter 12, God says this. Here is God's mercy God's grace. He says, okay, you have a king like you wanted. You have a man that'll fight your battles like you want. You have a man that looks the part. And here is the grace and the mercy of God. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we test the grace of God. And so we refuse. God, I don't want to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. And it's God's grace, not God's endorsement that comes along and says, okay, if you're going to be that stiff-necked and that stubborn-hearted, okay, I'll make a deal with you. And here's what he says. He tells them in chapter 12, in verse 12, he said, Now when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was king. So Samuel's telling him you rejected God. But here's what God said in verse 14. 
if, Samuel said, if you will fear the Lord, here it is, and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord. But if not, if you will not obey the Lord but rebel, he said, then, then it's going to be as it was against your fathers. So God in his grace says, you want a man to be over you. You got to do it your own way. Okay. I'll let you have that, but you still have to have faith. You still have to obey. You still have to fear the Lord. And if you do that, I'll stay with you. Samuel tells the people that you rejected God. So here's, so now they have this great choice. So it would make sense now that they're going to say, okay. Here's the interesting thing about Saul. I didn't recognize this until the other day. You look in your Bible for Saul. Saul never once calls the Lord his Lord. Hear me. He never once called God Jehovah my God. In fact, he does the opposite. He does the opposite. Saul was not a man who loved God. He was not a man who feared God. He was not a man who had a relationship with God. He was not a man who worshiped the Lord. He was a man kingly only in posture, but not in spirit. But the Bible does say that God gave him a fresh start. God says, okay, but I'll give you a fresh start. And Saul fails. Look at what happens. We don't get out of Samuel chapter 12. And now Saul is king. He is king for 42 years. And two years into his reign, he makes a massive mistake. He's going down and uh, fighting a battles. And the Bible says in chapter 12, Saul says this. He says, I forced myself an offering. Saul bypasses the restrictions and the commands that God had given. When you wanted an offering to be done, God, anybody could offer an offering, but there had to be, there had to be parameters that had to be followed. There, there was rules that had to be abided by. There was, there was priesthood that had to be involved. There, there was men of God that had to be involved. And Saul bypassed all of that. Hear me today. And he says, I don't need anybody else. I'll do my own sacrifice. Hear me. Hear me. I'll worship God the way I want to worship God. I'm not going to listen to what God is requiring of me. And he says, I forced myself a burnt offering. And Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? And, and he said, well, I forced, you weren't around. So I forced myself a burnt offering. And Samuel that day in chapter 13, he says this. He said, because you did this, he said, your children will no longer sit on the throne after you. He said, your posterity is gone. You, are, you may be king right now, but your lineage, your, your inheritance, your children will never sit on the throne after you. By the way, if you want to know, Saul had sons before he was anointed king. And if you go back and you look at the name of Saul's sons, Saul named his sons not 
after names that were testifying to the Lord. But he named his sons after pagan gods. He named his sons after the gods of the kingdoms around them, of the heathens. He was more concerned with that. And so God was stepping out and giving him great grace. But God says, your sons will not sit on the throne. So the first thing he lost in chapter 13 was he lost his posterity. He lost the continuation of his lineage in rule. The second thing he lost in chapter 14, Jonathan, he makes a command and says, if anybody does this, the person that does this, I'm going to kill. They're out to war. Jonathan, his son, who had the heart of the people, goes out and he does it. And Jonathan comes back and the people say, Saul, you're not going to kill him and we're going to save Jonathan. And so he lost his posterity in chapter 13. In chapter 14, he lost the people's trust. And in chapter 15, he goes out and he, the Bible says, I want you to go out and defeat the army. Don't save anything. And he goes out and he starts saving all of the stuff that's going to benefit him. He says it would benefit the Lord, but he's really trying to benefit himself. And Samuel shows up and says, this day the kingdom is rent from you. Samuel stands up and said, you lost your lineage, you lost the trust of the people, and now you have defied the Lord. And God is taking away the position of kingship from you. Two years into his reign, he messed up. And Saul is still so adamant. He is so adamant. He's trying to do things God's way. That later on, when Saul is in the toughest point of his life, instead of going to the tabernacle, you know what Saul does? He goes and he finds a witch. Saul never loved the Lord. Hear this. He never loved God. Samuel standing there before him, he says, this day the kingdom is taken from you. And you can look at it in chapter 15. Look at what Saul says. Saul tells Samuel in chapter 15, uh, uh, he says this, and I'll paraphrase. He says, Samuel, if you will forgive me, if you will stand in front of all the people and pardon me, this is after Samuel has said the kingdom is taken from you. He says, if you will publicly forgive me, what is he saying? If you will publicly endorse me, Saul says this, then I will worship your God. Saul never called God his God. He never said he's my God. But he said, I will worship. Look at this. What is it? 15 and 15. Chapter 15 and 15. He says, they brought me, and he says, uh, uh, from the people of Amalek, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the auction to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Saul would not even confess that God was his God, and in order for God to be his God, he had to have control, and he had to have the priesthood and the prophet endorse him. Saul was not changing Saul was not repentant, and that is why God says, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. Now hear this. Saul had everything. God made sure. Saul had the skill set to defeat Goliath when he made him king. Saul did not fail from the beginning. God put him up to succeed. God set him up to succeed. But Saul's choice 
Saul said this, God's not fighting my battles because he's not my God. I'm fighting my own battles. And here's the absurdity of it. You and I can live life today and we can refuse to trust God and we can refuse the grace of God and we can say, I don't need God in my life. I'm going to fight my own battles. But you're going to find yourself wanting every time. Saul is from where? Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. In the book of Judges, there's this interesting story about the tribe of Benjamin. And this is, this is crazy, but the Bible says that the tribe of Benjamin, how many in here had, ever had a slingshot as a kid? You know, and, and we, we won't ask you to raise your hands how many tried to knock a bird off or two. Squirrel, you know, don't put your hands down. Don't play with those as kids and you're trying to get out there and, you know, I probably broke more things that I wasn't aiming at, right, than things that I was aiming at. The slingshots we use today, I mean, they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty easy, but the slingshots they had back then, you know, be a little, little pouch of leather and two strings, and you take and put a stone in there, and you twirl it around, and then you let one go, and as you bring it around, as it, as it rotates around the circumference, you release it at just the right time, and it would go. The Bible says about the tribe of Benjamin that they had men that were so skilled that they could hit a hare. You could take a hare and you could hold it up in the distance. What you could hardly even see, they could stand back. They were so skilled and they could hit a hare. What did David, who was a little lad from the tribe of Judah, defeat Goliath with? He defeated him with a slingshot of whom Saul's tribe was supposed to be the best in the land. God knew, hey, there's going to be a giant that you're going to face. And so Saul had the skill set. He had everything he needed to defeat the giant, but he lacked the courage. And the reason why is because Saul never gave the battle to the Lord. The battle was always Saul's. Saul always said, no, he's your God, not my God. I can do this on my own. I can fight this on my own. Honey, can I tell you, as long as you are fighting your battles on your own, sooner or later there will be a giant that is bigger than you, that is better than you, that is tougher than you every time. But if you are just little in stature, but have great faith and you've already given the battle to the Lord, God will enable through supernatural power. He will enable you to do what you could not even think possible to do. And David says, the battle is not mine. Come on, the battle is not yours. The battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. And the Lord has given it into our hands. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So you and I, you and I have a choice to make. Whose battle is it going to be? I don't know about you, but I'll relinquish control today. Amen. I I don't have to force anything. I'll step back and let God be God. I'll go back just like David was to trusting and go back to praising and saying, hey, it doesn't matter where I'm at. Amen. When the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hallelujah. David had an experience with God. See, See, here's the thing that people don't understand. You say, well, man, how does God answer your prayers? And I want to pray those prayers too. I want to pray too. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't always work that way. If your life doesn't back it up, hear me. 
Saul said, pardon me, and then I'll worship your God. No, you don't come to God that way. You don't come to God that way and say, God, heal me, provide, and then I'll worship you. God, I want you to do this, this, and this. According to my timetable, here's how it is. God, here, here's, my, uh, here's, my, here's my wish list. And if you'll take care of this, oh, I'll worship you and I'll praise you and I'll serve you. The interesting thing is, is that David comes to the battlefield because his brothers are there, his older brothers, Eliab, Abinadab, and, and Shema. Those are the three oldest brothers. And he comes there to see them because his father has sent him. And, and the Bible says that they are in the battle with Saul. And because they're with Saul, they're, they're looking for a man. Did you, did you catch that in the story? Goliath says, send me a man. That's the problem. There was no man. There was no man that was courageous enough. There was no man that was dumb enough to stand up there. And when David goes out, he says, I'm not coming to you as a man. I know you're asking for a man. But see, you defied the Lord, and you got much more than a man. When you see me, don't be fooled by me because I don't come to you as a man. I come to you, he says, in the name of the Lord. See, they're looking for a man. That's the problem with the world. We're looking for a man to solve our troubles. Can I tell you, a man won't solve your troubles. But I know a, I know a God. I know a man named Jesus. Amen. And I don't come to you, amen, offering you a man, but I'm offering you the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the way maker, the healer, the one that walks on water, the one that opens blind eyes, the one that opens prison doors. I come in the name of the Lord. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So David's confidence comes. His confidence comes in his devotion and his obedience to the Lord. His obedience to the Lord. So Saul was looking for endorsement as a caveat for worship and covenant. God says he'll bypass those. So getting back to the three brothers. Samuel, God tells Samuel, after, after God has taken the kingdom from Saul, and I'm, I'm closing, so God tells Samuel, you're going to go down to Judah, and there's a man by the name of Jesse, and you're going to anoint a son of Jesse. And here's the interesting thing. So Samuel comes down, and he's ready. Man, he's excited. He goes to Jesse, I got to see your sons. Now, it's already hit all over Facebook that the kingdom has been taken away from Saul. I mean, it's the talk of the town. I mean, texts were flying like crazy. So when Samuel shows up, Jesse's thinking, oh, wow, I know what he's doing. Come on, boys, take another shower. Come on, brush your teeth. You know, he's... he's and he pulls him in, and there comes Eliab, and there comes the older sons. And Pastor, this got me when I saw it the first time. I'll never forget. Samuel goes over to Eliab to anoint Eliab, and as he gets ready, surely this is him. This is the eldest son. Jesse's standing back there. He's thinking, yes, this is it. Mind you, David is tending sheep. We're not bothering with David. 
He's not a bad kid. He's not forgotten. It's not that we don't, we don't love him. He's just, he's just too immature. He doesn't, he hasn't been around a while. We're just going to, so, so he's marginalized from the beginning. And there's Eliab. And the Bible says that as Samuel gets ready to anoint Eliab, God says, no, for I have refused him. Now, that's powerful language because in order for God to refuse him meant that God first had to consider him. Many are called, remember, but few are chosen. That comes from the word of Samuel's mouth when he's speaking to Saul. Samuel had already said it. Many are called, but few are chosen. God considered Eliab, but Eliab didn't have it. Why? Because when we find Eliab next, he's out there on the battlefield with Saul. He's, he's in the same mindset. He's in the same thinking group. They are looking for a man to lead them. They are looking for a king, a man to lead them. And God says, I'm just looking for somebody that will let me be God in their life. I'm just looking for somebody that'll let me take the place of what they've been stripped of, of what they've lost. I'm just looking for somebody that I can be king. And he had to find it on the backside of a mountain among sheep where there's a little boy strumming a harp and singing and praying and God comes down and he says, I found it. I found it. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter where you are, how marginalized or forgotten or passed over you are if you will just let God be king and Lord in your life there's no telling what God can do the battle is the Lord's Come on, whose battle are you going to choose? Are you going to fight the battle or are you going to give it over to the Lord? Stand together with me today the battle is the Lord's the battle is the Lord's. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. Come on, somebody, would you speak out to the Lord? God, I need you today. I need you today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody's carrying something. There, there's a little bit of turbulence going on. Come on, amongst our homes and family, somebody's facing a giant that they, they weren't expecting here today, and we've got to choose whose battle this is. Hallelujah, there's a temptation to control right now, even now. There's a temptation to control. We fight back tears in service. We, we